This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. It has been two years since Hurricane Maria slammed into Puerto Rico, causing the deaths of almost 3,000 people. And there are parts of that U.S. territory that are still trying to recover. Last week, Hurricane Dorian similarly devastated the Abaco and Grand Bahama Islands in the Bahamas. The death toll there still being assessed, but hundreds are missing, and around 70,000 people are now homeless. Estimates of the damage are as high as $7 billion in insured and uninsured losses. So is there anything governments and non-governmental aid organizations can do to better prepare and recover from such devastating storms? Joining me in studio, Julio Cabral Corrado, who's a fellow of business economics and public policy and a second-year MBA candidate here at the Wharton School, who's very involved in the recovery in Puerto Rico, providing food and water to over 200,000 people. And Joining us in a few minutes on the phone will be humanitarian chef, Chef Jose Andres, who is owner of numerous restaurants across the United States and founder of the World Central Kitchen, a charitable organization providing food aid after devastating storms like Hurricane Dorian. We start out with Julio. Great to meet you. Thank you for coming in. How are you, Dan? Good to, uh, good to meet you. Thank, uh, thanks for having me and uh, hi to you and your audience across the U.S. Give us a sense of, of where we are in Puerto Rico right now. Yeah, so, so as you know, when Puerto Rico came in about two years ago in, in September of uh, 17, Puerto Rico literally was obliterated across towns in the mountain as well as in the city. Uh, there were we had around three thousand people uh, that that the deaths were death were caused as well. On average, I think I don't think people realize, but on average, people went eighty four days without power, sixty eight days without water, wow. and forty one days without cell phone coverage. I left. Uh, I was working in New York, and I left. It's like two days after we did a big fundraiser in New York and I left two days after the hurricane hit and I was there for five weeks straight. I don't know how my boss didn't fire me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was appreciative of that. But we were delivering food and water all across the island right. and I saw the island. And now when you look at what's going on now to your specific question, we got 20,000 people still with blue tarps. We got ele- the electricity grid is still outdated. There hasn't been major transformations. So if a hurricane comes now, we were so scared when Dorian was, you know, it was estimated sure. to hit Puerto Rico. Sure, yeah. We were scared. Yeah. Uh, my family was like, oh, my God, again? Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the roads. If you look at roads, there's a lot of traffic going on in Puerto Rico in certain parts. And people always complain why the roads are not still paved after yeah. two years. So it, it's, it's very tough for the island, uh, you know, where we stand, what happened and where we stand now. What should be done right now? What needs to be done uh, moving forward? And obviously, you mentioned roads and and, and homes that still have uh, that don't have roofs on them right now. But we're talking about uh, you know two years after the fact, and for as you mentioned, a lot of people, yeah. it's stunning that uh, that this is occurring at this point. And it, I think the main thing would be to accelerate and to dissipate any doubts about the federal funding coming to Puerto Rico. Yeah. That estimated damages to Puerto Rico were at $100 billion. Right. And now at this point, I think the president has alluded that Puerto Rico has been 
awarded $92 billion. That is not the case. We, right. have, we have to go to the facts, right? And the facts are that Puerto Rico has been awarded thus far $42.9 billion right, on federal funding. And that goes from the electricity grid to CDBG for the re- funds for the reconstruction. Right. Uh, th- that's what's been appropriated, right? And then right. when you add some Medicaid funding and some food assistance and nutrition funding, we're at about, I think we would be around, uh, I think it's like 40 $9.3 billion. So definitely very far away from what has been stated has been given, the $100 billion, right. as well as much less than what the damages were. Um, but people argue, hey, we're trying to give you that money, but Puerto Rico is very corrupt. And that's something we have to deal with. Actually, I was just talking to a few government officials who are in Washington, D.C., government officials from Puerto Rico. There's a big delegation right now in Washington, D.C., multi-party delegation and yep. multi-sectorial, trying to accelerate those funding. Because as you know, Dan, over the summer, our governor resigned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now we've transitioned into a new governor. Yep. So the, the new governor, she's trying to be... You know, she's trying to build that credibility sure. back in D.C. And she's having all this meeting. I think she's meeting with Ben Carson. She's meeting with the White House. She's meeting today with Secretary Mnuchin to try to earn that credibility and ensure that Puerto Rico actually is granted or disbursed those uh, those uh, dollars appropriately. Well, and, and the unique thing about what happened with, with Maria yeah. coming through and, and the devastation that it left behind is the fact that not only do you have to rebuild, but you want to rebuild to the degree so that when, and I think you have to use the term when and not if, yeah. the next storm comes by, comes. that you don't have as significant a damage as you had this time. Exactly. So you're preparing. You need that infrastructure to be prepared in, or, in order to be able to deal with another hurricane coming. And we're in hurricane season. For instance, out of the $20 billion that has been appropriated in CDBG funds, which are for reconstruction, yeah. they've only we've only been dispersed $1.5 billion. Right. So if we're trying to build back the roads and we're trying to build back the housing infrastructure for specifically for the mountainous towns in Puerto Rico, which are very affected. Yeah. We need those funds to be dispersed. And at the same time, I would understand for the federal government. And I agree there there needs to be safeguards around them. So there's no more corruption. Puerto Rico, unfortunately, was released by the by the Department of Justice that Puerto Rico on a per capita basis per every 100,000 people. We are the second most corrupt jurisdiction in the United States after Washington, D.C. Sure. Yeah. So I. I, yes, we obviously we, we need the funding, but Puerto Rico itself needs to help itself and make the structural reforms so we have control on the budgeting, on the corruption, on the accounting, all that. So, so. that means that, that the government uh, and the new government with the new governor in place yeah. and, and, and things like the NGOs, th- there, there has to be a partnership. There has to be a union coming together. A hundred percent. And I, I, would, I would say when we and uh, when I was part of the Puerto Rico Rising Group, we were able to collaborate with a myriad of, NG, a myriad of NGOs and uh, and other parties in the private sector, and there were a lot of good work done. I would, say, I would say more efficient sometimes at the government that has to deal with more bureaucracies and more regulations. We were able to reach, at least in our case, young professionals along with other private sector leaders. We were able to reach over 200,000 people, which I think it's what kind of what's going now in the Bahamas, which we're going to talk to Chef Jose Andres in a few, which definitely, obviously, the impact the NGOs can and have uh, and helping and accelerating the help. How about we talk to him right now? Yeah, yeah. Let's give him a let's give him a ring. Chef Jose Andres is joining us right now. Uh, Jose, great to have you with us today. 
Hello, good morning. Good morning. Uh, and I have been watching your Twitter feed the last few days, <laughs> and it is amazing some of the work that you are doing to try and try and help all people down there in the Bahamas these last few days. Yes. Um, was in the kitchen, had a very busy season of hurricane so far. Um, we began following Dorian. Um, we sent teams to Puerto Rico. We, activate, we activated Puerto Rico. We had more than 25,000 volunteers. We have a very good presence in the island right now with almost 240 farms we've helped in the post-reconstruction. And we have a lot of team leader members that they are able, capable, and trained to to come to, to the feeding needs after uh, another hurricane. And so we had teams there. When, when Dorian moved north, we were so, so happy. And then we moved back to Florida, and we began staying different possible scenarios in Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, and um, Georgia. How did, um, how, Chef, how did, how did uh, World Central Kitchen get started? We began, I would say, just after the, the earthquake um, in Haiti, uh, in Port-au-Prince. And, and the work that you've been doing since that period of time uh, is geared to try and give people just the, the sustenance that they need, correct? Um, what, we, we, what I began seeing was that as much as the big uh, organizations move in, the, the food, um, the way we deliver the food is slow. There's sometimes not a lot of coordination. Sometimes we we put we have the MREs and other ways of feeding people, and we bring the assets. But then you don't have anybody that does the true distribution. We may do the distribution, but you don't have anybody that takes charge. And so you bring the MREs, but then only you bring them one day, and you do like check, and you never come back again. And what I saw was opportunity to do it faster, quicker, cheaper, better quality food, and more important showing up every day, gathering intelligence, and in the process of feeding people and bringing them water, learning every other need they have, so we can pass it to the other people, other NGOs that do this job, or us covering that. Like for Rico, uh, we will be bringing generators for people that were in briefing, uh, with briefing machines, and that was life-saving moments. Or we will bring medicines to people that they require very difficult to get medicines, especially uh, after a disaster. So in the process of bringing food, we, 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 we ended doing more than that. So we don't believe we are only an NGO that cooks. Cooking for us is easy. You ask me for 100,000 meals tomorrow, right. and we will get the 100,000. It's not complicated. What I think we've been very, very special and very unique and we are very proud of is that we created the systems of distribution that make sure that every single day, every single uh, place we go to, they know that for the next days or weeks, they can count on us for their feeding needs until everything goes back to what we can say normal. Chef, uh, how are you, sir? Good to, good to talk to hola. you again. Hola. Hola, hola. And I might add, I might add Dan, uh, the chef did when we collaborated together in Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico's recovery, actually, we operated in, in close by each other. Um, the chef actually partnered with a lot of locals, which was very important. A lot of local volunteers, a lot of local community leaders, a local yeah. NGO. So I think that's very yeah. good. Uh, I'm very proud you, you read on that because 
the difference between us and many other NGOs is that we believe in the power of the local community yeah. to take care of themselves. Right. Usually, humanitarian aid is given on the premise that the people come from the outside and the outsiders make every decision. We come with the premise that we believe that people initially need leadership from the outside because people, they've been badly hit by a, a destructive, uh, a destructive um, um, uh, in this case, hurricane or any other event. But very quickly, we're able to bring into our world anybody, anybody that is local, that knows better than the outsiders where you have water, where you have yeah. food, who can sure. help us distribute, who has cars, who has contacts to any of the needs we may have. And with locals, we become so much more powerful. And then is when really we are an NGO like no other. Right now in Bahamas, it's happening exactly the same. We have so much help from the local community that we are becoming very powerful because we have intelligence that sometimes no even other big NGOs with more experience Chef, in the way we do. Why? Because we use the local intelligence community to make it happen. Chef, so for those listening to us, if you can, take us through what the process is for you. And let's use Dorian as the example. You know that this storm is making its way towards the Bahamas. Obviously, some of this uh, this work that you have to to kind of uh, preset to be able to be ready to be able to help uh, help these people out, you have to be making contact with all different types of organizations and the governments and and, and the food. And, and, right. And just to be able to have yeah. all of these processes in place so that the first yeah. opportunity you can to get on the ground, you okay. are there. Um, let me tell you. I mean, at the beginning, we couldn't be doing any contact with any other NGO because we were the only ones. Right. We, we positioned ourselves there three days before. Nice. We already we were very active because we were following this hurricane. Um, and we already had assets and teams ready. And we, we were able to move very quickly and start moving some of the teams from Florida into um, the Bahamas, into Nassau. I met the team in Nassau. And what we began doing was what kitchens we may be using in these two islands that they are in the middle of the hurricane. Right. What... what um, um, what um, um, assets we can have that will help us to do a very quick. Um, and we began seeing that um, we, we needed things like helicopters. So we plan to have helicopters. Wow. We will need probably boats. So we plan to have boats. And then um, we plan for all those things. So Monday, when even the prime minister before um, uplifting the hurricane uh, emergency, um, we were already delivering um, food in Marsh Harbor. Um, imagine how quick we were. And Chef? So we were, we were able to go from 1,000 to 10,000 meals a day very quick. Even the need was much, um, much greater. So we, went, we, we are doing right now, on the last few days, between 20 and 25,000 meals. We could even produce more. Wow. The issue we were having was we didn't have enough helicopters, and if we had the helicopters, we were still working with the government to have the permits. But let me tell you, the Bahamian government actually became a very good uh, help to us, providing us with all those logistics and permits. So they took us very seriously. So we will land in Marsh Harbor almost at the same time 
as the U.S. Coast Guard was going there <laughs> wow. to lift up people. So I was very proud of our organization. Like right now, we have three, four helicopters. We have two seaplanes. We have a boat with landing capabilities for helicopters in three ports. Uh, we are sending the food to Marsh Harbor. And then from there, we have different cars. For you to understand, okay. all the cars are broken. And it's no gas. And it's no gas stations. We fix, yeah. we fix the cars. We got the gas out of the boats. Boats that were in the middle of the road on top wow. of homes will take the gas, will fill up the, the cars with it. And all of a sudden, our needs for gas in the cars was solved. This is the kind of adaptation the World Central Kitchen does all the time. And Chef, um, you you know we, we've seen all the you know the pictures of the debris of wood and metal, and we've seen Abaco and and Grand Bahamas and the you know how it's been basically destroyed. But you've been underground. You've been helping, which we commend you for it. What's your for for those who are listening to us? What's going on on the ground? What's your assessment? Uh, yeah. Or, or well, what's going on right now? And how many meals have you think you you okay. have delivered already? Um, um, yesterday we we did over hundred thousand meals. Um, already today we reached hundred twenty five thousand. Um, we were able to uh, to get so much help because we had the private sector helping us. Happens that they have a restaurant in Bahamas, and happens that Atlantis, which is one of the one of the biggest employers in the island, uh, put all their muscle behind us, and this shows what my idea is based on is restaurants and food industry people all around the world and even if we don't know each other we are all interconnected wow that's why i always say don't worry anywhere in the world there is something happening we have a team that will join us and we will be able to do it quick and fast so the situation in marsh harbor and and gran abaco Yeah, all the destruction really happened from the middle of the island north. Don't tell me why, but the south part of the island yeah. is almost manicured. It's okay. like the hurricane didn't pass through there. Don't tell me why. Mm, wow. But everything else in Marsh Harbor, we're talking about total destruction. No electricity, no cell signals. Even magically, the government has been able to restore uh, cell in less than five days. Well, frankly, very impressed. In Puerto Rico, took many more days. Yeah. In the moment you move away from San Juan, you had no communication. Ten days later, still remembering going to Ponce and, had, and we had no cell signal. Yeah. Um, they restore cell. It doesn't work perfectly, but now we are able to communicate through WhatsApp and sometimes the phone calls in and out. Uh, people, they've been leaving the, the island. The government did it slowly because they had to to adapt in Noso, and they are, they've been opening shelters there. So the ports became a place of waiting for, be, uh, for being uh, put into a boat to go to Nassau, but also they become temporary shelters because people will sleep overnight there waiting for the next boat in the morning. So we began fitting there. The airport was the same. It was a little bit chaos because there's many little airports in the many tiny islands. And they were all under one frequency. So sometimes with little accidents in the runway, because you had multiple planes taking off and landing at the same time in multiple little uh, airports with no real control tower, and where civil aviation really was slightly overwhelmed. 
uh, I will be recommending always that in these emergencies, they will do emergency frequencies yeah. for every single mm-hmm. individual airport. So they will be much more, uh, much more organized, much more safe and will be not so much chaos in the one frequency for everything. Chef, I think think it's incredible when you're talking about uh, all of the the pieces that you have to try and bring together to be able to run this type of an operation. The the stories about the fact that that even at Atlantis, the, the, the resort, that the people that were staying there were helping you produce some of these foods, yeah. the sandwiches. They yeah. were stepping in because they knew how bad this was, and they wanted to lend a hand. Well, Wood Central Kitchen more and more is known, and we 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 need those volunteers to maximize the power of what we can produce. Um, also, I always believe that people want to be helpful. And in part, we make the sandwiches because this is a very good, fresh, this is like our emery. We bring a sandwich and a, and, a, and a couple of apples, and that's one meal. Right. Plus, we give them a hot, a hot meal, and then in one delivery, we are almost delivering like lunch and dinner, and we save effort and time in, in multiple deliveries. That's why we do that. And this works very well, but it's also a way to make the local community inclusive, especially young people, especially even children. All want to do something, and sometimes in these tragedies, it's not a real way for people to help. What we provide is an opportunity for the local community that wants to be hands-on, but they cannot reach, in this case, Granabaco, to be part of the solution. And that's why uh, World Central Kitchen is so beloved in many of the communities in America and around the world, because they remember us as an organization that creates a sense of community. That's that's uh, very true, and it, it happened as well in Puerto Rico. And Chef, one of the one of one of the last quick things, and it, it we read that the U.S. Coast Guard uh, is helping out, it's using helicopters and evacuating people. Do more evacuations need to take place in the in Bahamas and other governments helping? What do you? What's your assessment yeah. on that? Uh, I mean, um, I left um, I left uh, Nassau uh, yesterday afternoon. Okay, um, I'm here all day in Washington, and I'll be back tomorrow by 9 a.m. Wow. Uh, so I needed 24 hours to uh, regroup, uh, download, uh, maybe talk to some politicians yeah. and let them know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And and then, but you know, uh, World Central Kitchen is not me. World Central Kitchen is an amazing group of men and women that are making it happen. Uh, Nate Mook, uh, our executive director, and my friend who came with me to Puerto Rico, I'm very much himself with other people put the beginning of that operation going um is there not covering me already mm-hmm. <laughs> so 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 again the operation runs amazing one of the things i really believe that probably business schools of the world but probably the so-called best business school in the world what can you should imagine? be doing will be when you talk about business we talk about something very basic to understand it's a return on investment Mm-hmm. Yeah. Return on the investment is used plainly said, putting dollars. Lately, more and more, we see that the return on investment of a private company can be much more than that. Social engagements, the environment, is other ways to evaluate the return on the investment of a company. But if you tell me, plainly, it's used money. When we are in these situations, in these emergencies, and especially when we talk about NGOs, 
we need to start understanding you know, what is what is the return on the investment of doing a good job mm-hmm. and what do we have to do to provide people the perception and at the same time the reality that the governments of the countries affected or the states or and that the NGOs, big and small, are really there for their people. Okay. I believe it's a lack sometimes of showing up by the countries, the states, um, in the communities that they are hardly hit, and especially in the poor, forgotten communities. They have a sense that nobody's showing up. And I have a feeling like everybody's going to have to reconsider from FEMA and other organizations in the world to have a more active presence of boots on the ground quicker boots on the rather ground. than yep. later. Because sometimes it takes forever to see people. Chef, and, and now up. that now that you say that, one last quick thing. Do you what would be your recommendation for universities with such a global impact like the the Warden School at the University of Pennsylvania? What can we do over here at such institutions with such a broad array of resources and, and influence out there? So listen, I, I was in uh, Mozambique recently and I saw the work that World Food Program does. And I was able to be with them a couple of days besides the two kitchens we opened there ourselves. And quite frankly, I was uh, high, highly impressed to see it so close okay. and being with them in the way they deliver. But in many other scenarios, I believe, we need to have a true assessment on if the money the big NGOs have and the small NGOs and the investment they put into the response to these situations, if we have the right face value on the return on the investment. At the end, we are able to run because people give us money. And so we need to make that money have a true return on the investment in bringing relief to people. Let me give you an example. How it is possible that I don't sense we have a simple plan that we can activate in America, in the Caribbean islands, anywhere in the world. for some of the most important items, let's say water. Why is not a system of people that dedicate themselves to make sure that every single hard-hitted area, per neighborhood, per per city, per hospital, have a protocol of urgent bringing sweet water to those places that lost all the water? We saw what happened in Puerto Rico. I was fighting. I was literally fighting with the government and with FEMA to for them to give me water yeah. when they had all the water under yeah. their control. <laughs> yeah. So when when we hear that the government has assets, when we hear that the government has food and water, I want to everybody be very clear that this means absolutely nothing. Because if you don't have real distribution systems, right. that water, we saw what happened in Puerto Rico. $21 million set, set, seated on a tarmac with nobody in charge of distributing that water like there is not tomorrow. And when we know that maybe some Puerto Ricans were thirsty and maybe who knows, some people die for lack of water. How it is possible that we felt so badly even when the water was there? This is the type of thing that businesses school should be doing. 
what is the dollars we invest and what is the real return on the yeah. investment on the quickness of bringing relief and the perception in the people that really we are there for them. That's what we do. Cool. We show up, and when I show up, I tell people, we'll be back tomorrow, and then we'll be back tomorrow, and we'll be back the next yeah. day. <laughs> I've been showing up for seven days in every, in the same communities every single day. And if you see the change in perception of the people, sure. knowing that somebody's coming to their help every day, and this begins bringing some sense of normalcy in their lives, and that's the beginning of a reconstruction, it's so powerful. Chef, so. Th- thanks thanks very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. And, and congratulations on all the great work that, that you're doing uh, with World Central Kitchen. And we look forward to talking to you again uh, at some point down the road. Thank you, guys. Muchas gracias, Chef. Saludo. Adios. Thank you. Chef Jose Andres Julio, great meeting you. Thank you for coming in. Greatly oh, appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.